Welcome to The Little Sleep Show, a podcast about helping your children and family get the sleep you need. Hosted by Laura Meyercourt. Hello, and welcome back to The Little Sleep Show. I'm really excited about today's topic, which is going to be talking about the power of play in childhood. And I'm also just really excited about The Little Sleep Show. You guys, this started as a side project for me with my business as a sleep consultant, just another way for me to get the word out about the importance of sleep and the importance that emotions and the whole lifestyle of the family plays into child sleep. But it's become kind of a passion for me, and I'm just coming up with all kinds of cool ideas for you. So definitely stay tuned. In the next couple months, I'm hoping to produce some really great shows for you guys. And there are interviews coming, I promise. It's just been a lot of work getting this podcast off the ground, and I haven't gotten my stuff together completely 100% yet to get interviews, but I have actually contacted some people to do interviews. So those are coming up in the next few weeks. Talking about the power of play, I'd like to open with a quote from Mr. Rogers, who was one of my heroes in childhood. Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood was my favorite show when I was little. I just loved his gentle nature, but I also felt as a child that even though he was, to me, he was a grandpa, that he was connecting with me on my level. And I think that's why Mr. Rogers connected with so many of us, because he really understood what childhood was all about. And so this quote by Mr. Rogers, play is often talked about as if it were a relief from serious learning. But for children, play is serious learning. Play is really the work of childhood. So play is where children develop all kinds of skills and where children process emotions. So we're going to talk a little bit about that today. And then towards the end of the show, of course, I'm going to incorporate how play and sleep can be tied together, even though it doesn't seem to make sense right now. I'm also going to give you guys a little connection for the week to add some play into your life with your child. So to get started, some examples of play, and there are many different types of play. There's um, social play, which is kids playing in groups. If you think about going to a class with your child or going to daycare with your child, there's imaginative solo play, which when I was little was my favorite kind of play. There's physical play, there's outdoor play, there's pretend play, there's toy and object play. So many different kinds. There's art play, there's messy play, there's sensory play. I mean, the list goes on and on. And I could give you examples of each one of these. There's great Instagram pages out there about different types of play, particularly some about sensory play that I really love. And I can actually include a couple of those accounts in the show notes for today. I don't know them off the top of my head right now, but there's a couple that I follow that have really great sensory ideas, particularly for toddlers. Imaginative solo play. When I was growing up, my grandparents watched us a lot of the time. We lived upstairs from my grandparents and my mom worked, especially during summers, we would play with my grandparents and the stuff they had, and they didn't have a lot of toys. But my grandpa used to be a CTA bus mechanic, so he had all his old tools out on the back porch. And I would spend hours out there with my grandpa's tools and some wood, and my sister and I used to build all kinds of contraptions. I remember one time, I mean, this was probably when I was about eight or nine, 
we built a little machine out of just wood and nails that could recycle aluminum cans. So I don't know, recycling aluminum cans was like a big deal back then. And so we built this little like conveyor belt that you could roll a can down and then smash it with a hammer. And that is one of my fondest memories growing up was just being set out there with the tools and wood and just kind of, you know, here you go. I think a lot of times kids today miss out on experiences like that because good and bad reasons, because we are so busy. We don't have enough time to let our kids get free play time as much as we did when we were growing up, maybe. There's not as much safe play space. Like there's not a lot of safe outdoor spaces, especially if you live in a big city. And just kids' schedules today, it's a lot different. Like we didn't have all these activities when I was growing up. I was in dance and that was about it. But um, like my kids right now, they're each in probably like no less than three different activities. And there just isn't that time for imaginative play that we used to have. I'm a little nostalgic for that, if you can't tell. So there are different types of play for different age groups that really can help to build on the developmental milestones about where your child's at at this age. So for instance, birth to six months, you can imitate your baby's little noises and have a little back and forth conversation that helps develop language, believe it or not. You can show your baby interesting objects such as a brightly colored toy, let her put objects in her mouth because that's how babies explore, putting them in different positions and angles on the floor, on, you know, safely in something on a table if you're next to them so they can see your perspective when you're cooking dinner, just basically responding to them when they are trying to get your attention is a great way to play with babies and to build that attachment. For infants, so like seven to 12 months, making sure that your baby's environment is safe so they can crawl and explore giving uh, your baby opportunities to learn that actions have effects. So throwing a toy and letting it fall on the ground, putting toys within your baby's reach so that your baby can access whatever they want, you know, out of three or four things on their own. Playing peekaboo, that's a big one. And I really recommend this to a lot of families because peekaboo demonstrates, again, the cause and effect, but it also demonstrates object permanence which is how babies learn that when something is not there, basically it's still there. So when you are hiding behind your hands, eventually your baby learns to figure out, oh, mom or dad are still there behind their hands. So that when you go away, for instance, when you're leaving them in their bed or in their room, you are still there even though they can't see you. So you can see how that connects to sleep. And I really recommend, especially with six to 12 months month olds, playing peekaboo to build trust around separation anxiety. So from one to three years old, allowing kids to have unstructured playtime, huge. Letting them play with whatever is around them. Giving them a couple simple objects, containers, spoons, puzzles, um, just letting them play. Because if you notice, I'm sure, I'm sure this is like such a cliche. I'm sure there's been a million memes about it. You know, the kids that want to play with the box rather than the expensive toy we get them at Christmas, right? There's that joke. But that's based in reality, very much so, especially with toddlers. Toddlers love to put things in and take things out in containers. So really think simpler is better for one to three-year-olds. Make believe play. Huge. Pretending to eat and drink. 
Toddlers absolutely love to play serving food or play mommy and daddy. Singing songs and playing rhythms, Simon says, is a really fun one to start to introduce to older toddlers and young preschool age. And then exploring their body with different movements. Walking, jumping, standing on one leg. All of those ways are great ways to give toddlers some fun, unstructured playtime and still encouraging them to uh, work with the developmental milestones that where they're at. So from four to six-year-olds, providing opportunities for your child to sing and dance, telling stories and asking questions about the story. I remember my grandmother, my mom's mom, this is a different grandmother, telling me stories when I was growing up. And I, it was one of the most comforting things to me growing up was to hear this story that she made up about this little girl who got gum stuck in her hair. But it was so comforting to me. And I still vaguely remember this story. But more than that, I remember sitting with my grandma on the back porch and having her tell me that story and how comforting it was to just hear the same story over again. Kids love to hear the same stories over again because it's really comforting to them. If you notice, a lot of kids will pick the same books to read at bedtime because it's a really comforting thing for them to have the predictability of what's coming up. Giving them the time and the space to act out imaginary scenes, roles, and activities. So when I was growing up, we played with my grandma's old scarves and jewelry. You know, giving your kids just like old accessories that you don't want. Even old, like an old remote control, an old cell phone with the battery taken out. Stuff like that. Kids just love to act things out and to play pretend. Definitely trying to schedule time for your child to interact with friends so that they can practice socializing and building friendships. That's a big one for this age group to prepare them for the social nature of going to school so that they're ready for that. And also just teaching them empathy and understanding and those basic things like sharing, which are so incredibly difficult for children to learn. But the more they practice it, the faster they'll they'll get it, that it's the acceptable thing to do is to share when it's appropriate for them and when they feel okay f- with sharing. So I found this great infographic on parentingforbrain.com and they actually they have a good article on there about, I think I Googled benefits of play in child development and I found this website. So some of the benefits of play for children, their brain development and early development So in human studies, playing enhances children's adjustment, language, and social-emotional stability by 33% to 67%. Smarter and faster learning and better memory. A lot of researchers have actually studied play with children. In one study, children offered toys in infancy have higher IQ at age three and again at age four and a half. Take from that what you will, but play, it's definitely beneficial. More creative, free play enhances divergent thinking. Pretend play requires imagining and encourages creativity. I mean, the gift of imagination and creativity in children, if you've listened to some of the stuff that your children have come up with, I mean, my kids are older, they're 10 and 11, and I'm still astounded by some of the creativity that they come up with. It's just something about the child's brain. It's so... It's, it's kind of untethered by all the anxieties and fears that adults have and the worries and the stresses of everyday life. And they're allowed to think much more freely 
and their creativity, it's just beautiful to witness. I'm sure you've witnessed it with your own children. Better communication, vocabulary, and language. So especially pretend play improves preschoolers' speaking and understanding. Greater impulse control and emotion regulation. Self-regulation is essential for kids' academic and social success. So regulation is the ability to calm and soothe yourself when you are getting upset or your emotions are running high. Kids who pretend play have better self-regulation skills. Better health, definitely, you know, of course, better physical health with kids who get time to play outside or even inside. You can do chase, you can do running around, you can do hide and seek. All those ways are kid, for kids to move their body. Play Simon Says, play dance party. Those are all ways to get your kids up and moving. And it doesn't have to be in an outdoor space if that's not accessible to you. Social competence and more empathy. Of course, social interaction is going to help children learn how to cooperate, follow rules, develop self-control, right? When they don't want to share what's in their hands, they get to practice what that feels like when they don't want to share and when they do share. Playful children are happier and better adjusted and more cooperative. Playing out life's problems. And this is a big one. I'm going to come back to this um, regarding sleep. Play is also a place where if we pay close enough attention, children are actually acting out some of the feelings and the fears that they have from real things in their life that are going on. Sometimes they'll do it with stuffed animals. Sometimes they'll do it with pretend play. Sometimes they'll do it with imaginary friends. But it's a way for children to process feelings. And that's really, really important overall, but also particularly when it comes to sleep. Play is also a useful tool for children to rehearse skills and future social roles. So it's a place for them to test things out. Even when they're playing mommy and daddy with with us, it's a place for them to test out what that feels like to be on the other side. And of course, playing is a way to bond with our children. Since play is the way children communicate, if we are able to take the time to let them lead us in play, to the best of our ability. I know it's hard, but I was a nanny for 17 years. So I have had more than my fair share of the times when children get stuck on something. You know what I'm talking about when your kids get stuck on something, when they repeat the same thing over and over and over because it got a laugh from you or because they laughed and it gets tiring. But do it to the best of your ability, you know? And if we have to, we can also redirect if we need to. If it starts to get painful, which sometimes it does when your child's repeating the same game over and over and over, we can redirect. Don't let that be a deterrent from spending that time uh, with child-directed play. I want to talk about sleep and play, which is really my area there's a woman called Ann Caird, and she graduated from my program at the International Parenting and Health Institute um, several years ago. And she actually runs her own business doing coaching for parents on emotional well-being, which is a method that she developed for encouraging children to calm and self-regulate and process feelings particularly around bedtime, but not always. And I really admire her because she introduced us to this 
emotional well-being, and it was a module in our program. And I had never really heard this terminology around sleep before. You know, I came from a very rigid background with sleep training, but when I heard Anne's emotional well-being module, it completely changed the way that I thought about sleep. I mean, it was like a 180 instantly. I'm actually hoping to get Anne maybe, maybe on this show to interview. I'm hoping because we're a fellow students of the same school that she'll agree. I haven't asked her yet, but I'm putting it out there in the universe because she would be someone really awesome to talk to about emotions in childhood and how children process emotions and how we can help them. So what Anne taught us about emotional well-being and sleep was that children with unprocessed emotions are going to have trouble sleeping. And what she's come up with over her years of work and research is that she recommends scheduling in roughhousing play or silly play before the bedtime routine at night. What she says is that, and there is other research that backs this, what this does is it allows children to laugh and laughter is stress relief for children. And what laughter also does is it helps to release stronger emotions such as fear, grief, or sadness. So I don't know if you've ever played with your child and it's gotten really, really silly and over the top and they're laughing these big belly laughs and then all of a sudden they start to cry when, when it's all done. And that's, that's we actually want that because we are encouraging our children through play to release any uncomfortable leftover feelings that would otherwise be lingering when they're in their beds. And so a lot of times when children are going through big transitions or changes or developmental milestones, separation anxiety, there's so many reasons why children can have strong, unprocessed emotions. Um, If they're not allowed to cry during the day and express it, at bedtime, it will come out and it can lead to sleep challenges like night wakings, children who constantly need reassurance. They wake up every sleep cycle and they need to be reassured by us to go back to sleep. And they're not getting a solid night's sleep that way. By playing for even 15 to 20 minutes before you begin the bedtime routine, you can allow your child to release any leftover, uncomfortable emotions that are left and also any bursts of energy that they have left in them. Some of the examples that I like to recommend to clients are having a dance party, letting your child pick one or two songs, or you take turns and pick a song for the night, and then you have a dance party. A pillow fight, chasing, horseback rides. One person recommended Duck, Duck, Goose, because then the whole family could be involved in play. And then another good one is role-playing or reverse role-playing. I think I talked about this in a previous podcast. In fact, I'm sure I have is room acclimation and bed acclimation for kids, which is basically just letting them play in their rooms or in their cribs to get them uh, to form positive feelings and emotions in there. That's not just the room that you go in for sleep. You can do this um, roughhouse play or silly play in the child's room, and then you're kind of doing double duty because you're creating positive emotions and memories in there, but you're also allowing your child to play and get out and process those emotions before bedtime. When children are having trouble sleeping or going through separation anxiety particularly bad, or if there's been a lot of stress and anxiety around sleep in the home, I always will recommend 
a little bit of each of these. So playing in the child's room and then also scheduling in some silly play before the bedtime routine. So a big one is, as I said, reverse role-playing or role-playing. And kids can act out their fears this way. You can do a role-play if your child's having nightmares or is scared of something. Do a reverse role-play where you're scared and they're comforting you. So they feel like the strong one. Acting out what new transitions are going to feel like. Acting out about new school or daycare, about siblings that are coming. Let your child express themselves through play here. You can use stuffed animals or you can do direct role playing with just you and your child and see what comes out. I think you'll be surprised about what things they may reveal about the things that are causing them anxieties and fears. After laughing, as I said, children might cry. That's a good thing. That's not a bad thing. You didn't overstimulate your child. That's what a lot of people think. This is a positive thing because it's a gateway to allowing them to get these emotions out. This week, for my connection for you guys, I would like you to schedule in 10 to 15 minutes of undivided attention per day with your child. You can use a timer if you need to, if you're really busy parent and you're pressed for time. And you can do this any time of day that you choose. You can do it in the morning. You can do it after dinner. A great thing to do to experiment would be to do it right before the bedtime routine if you're if you're able to. And you if you have multiple kids, choose something like a pillow fight, a dance party, or duck duck goose where everybody in the family can participate. As long as you're totally focused on the activity that you're doing with your child at that time, they're going to get the benefits of it. And of course, you'll get the benefits of it too. And that can be your special connection time during the day. If it's not around bedtime, you can tell your child, we have this amount of time and set the timer. Timers are great for kids. Kids really like to have tangible boundaries like a timer for them. When they hear the beep, they know the time is up and there's going to be a lot less pushback when you use a timer. I used to use timers for everything. We still sometimes use timers for our kids now. So tell them, you know, you get my undivided attention for X amount of minutes and we can do whatever you want to do, of course, within reason, and let your child lead. And that's their way to show you how they need your attention and connection that day. Give that a try. See how it works for you. Of course, if your child does become extremely stimulated before bed when you're doing this silly play, you might want to move it a little earlier, like after dinner. But if your child is very hyper at bedtime, and this is a whole nother show, that's a pretty good indication that your child is probably overtired already because overtiredness does lead to release of stress hormones, which leads to hyperactivity. Just something to keep in mind. This play, you should be able to do it and then say, okay, time's up and allow your child to then wind down with their bedtime routine. And it shouldn't be a barrier to sleep. If it's becoming a barrier to sleep, then move it earlier in the day or in the evening. That's what I have for you this week about play. I hope that was beneficial to you guys. I feel like play is not given the attention that it needs and deserves today. It's kind of passed over sometimes for more structured activities, even with smaller kids. You know, of course, it's great for parents to get together and take their kids to classes because parents, we need it as much as the kids do. We need the interaction with other parents, but it's also just great to let our children play on their own, unstructured time, and just see what comes out of it. 
If you haven't already, please follow me at Nest Family Sleep on Instagram and Facebook or The Little Sleep Show on Instagram. I will keep you updated with um, sleep tips and parenting information and talking about mindfulness on there. And I also post my new episodes every Tuesday. So stay tuned for next week's show. I hope you guys have a great rest of your week. Take care of yourself and be kind to yourself. We're all just doing the best we can. Bye. We'll be back next Tuesday with a brand new episode. Until then, follow us on Instagram and Facebook for tips on sleep and a whole lot more. See you next week.